to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're talking about how games end. Some games are great while playing them, but have a rather anticlimactic ending, while other endings will keep you talking for days, weeks, or months. While game endings might not be as important as a book or movie ending, they do affect our enjoyment of the game overall, and this week, that's what we're talking about. But first, we're talking about our patrons, our friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and The Gift of Games in Grays Lake, now with a website at thegiftofgames.com. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Happy Thanksgiving! Wait. It's too late yeah, now. Happy, happy belated <laughs> Happy belated Thanksgiving! <laughs> we should have said it last week, but we're not that organized. No, we, we mentioned Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, this... It's a thing. This year's Thanksgiving was weird, because... So I've been on paternity leave, which means I'm not going to work, which means a four-day weekend has daycare closed. So really, that four-day weekend wasn't a weekend. It was just four days of both kids all day long. <laughs> so I, today hit, I'm like, ah, i finally back to a Monday. So yeah, that was my Thanksgiving. We, um, we did do Thanksgiving at Sydney's parents, and it was great. They ordered out... But they got like a half a turkey, um, potatoes, all the stuffings, all the fixins. Um, I made sweet potatoes with a cobbler crumble on top, which was like basically a p- sweet potato cobbler. Dessert. Yeah, it was so good. Um, but yeah, so how was your guys' Thanksgivings? Very nice. Uh, yeah, mine was great. So uh, Carmen and I ordered a 12-pound turkey for the four of us. It was Carmen and I, her aunt, and um, a friend that we... Uh, see a bunch um and when we went to go pick up the turkey they were like well so our order because we're fancy now we get like these we have to order our turkeys we don't go to like get like really regular butterball turkey or whatever Mm -hmm. um so uh, we go to pick up our turkey and they say yeah there's a problem with the order um the distributor ran out of small turkeys and all we have now are 20 pound turkeys (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to give you a discount on it. Or you can cancel it, but if you cancel it, then you just don't, you know, you don't have... No turkey for you. So, exactly. So we're just like, all right, I guess we're going to cook a 20-pound turkey as opposed to a 12-pound turkey. So that's what we did for four people. But, well, that's like five pounds each. That's good. Um, You have a lot of leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) We have a ton of leftovers. Ton. Yeah, I think my mom made like a 25-pound turkey for... 12 13 people now i don't know if you count the baby <laughs> she didn't eat any of the turkey so <laughs> doesn't count yeah she I, was present <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that's not enough turkey i think but i mean did you guys run out or did you have enough for us yeah the 25 pound turkey that was plenty of turkey we had uh. we've eaten this turkey for three meals now well that's great then <laughs> so I don't know how long Fletcher and Garmin are going to be eating their twenty pounds of turkey. So we have uh, we have so much turkey, and then I took the. I mean, I probably shouldn't have done this, but <laughs> you know, waste not, want not. I took the entire carcass with all the meat scraps and everything on it, and then I made turkey soup. Yeah. So I just boiled a bunch of the carcass and everything, and now I probably have like two gallons of turkey soup that. I froze most of it, and then the other part I'm going to eat eventually. (laughs) That's one of my favorite things to do. I usually do, you know, with chicken, but uh, making chicken carcass soup or turkey carcass soup, so, so good. I have never done that, and I should, because I'm trying to do more and more things that are, like, outside of my wheelhouse for cooking, but I still just have an issue of boiling carcasses. There's just something about that. It's so easy. I know it's easy. It's just, it feels weird. It doesn't feel weird when you're doing it because, like, you know, we say carcass. Carcass sounds gross, but (laughs) what you're really doing is like cooking leftovers. It's a leftover, you know, like if you think of the rotisserie chickens at Jewel, like, no matter how you look at it, it's turkey corpse stew. And that's, it's just weird. We're eating eating corpses constantly. I know. Exactly. All right, we're All grossing- the vegetarians and vegans out there are like, yeah, you are gross. I know. Like, we're grossing out <laughs> a vegetarian audience here. Let's move on to talking about litter robots, uh, which is still fantastic, by the way. Yeah. So you talked about this the other day on the show, and I was curious what it looked like. You made us all Google it. And I did. And now it's every single ad I see on the internet, and I don't even have a cat. So thanks a lot, Chris. So I've had it for a month now. 
And I will say, <laughs> it took me, I still haven't hooked up my phone. It says I got the wireless version. It's, you know, there's an app for that and stuff. But you can go over and see the light. It, but how are you going to know so you, if your cat your... has a UTI, Chris? <laughs> I don't How care. How will you know you could save your cat's life? Eventually, I'm going to make cat corpse stew. So I'm okay. <laughs> Whatever that happens, it'll be fine. But right now, uh. <laughs> if the blue light's solid, everything's good. And if it's flashing, I just hit reset, cycle, and then I empty the thing. And I, my house doesn't smell like cat anymore. So it's quite good. I actually like the cats way more right now. I'm being nice to the cats. <laughs> I don't even know... Why? It's not that I was mean to the cats. I'm not a cat abuser. Um, so what you're saying is that you like the cats more when you deal with them less. Exactly. <laughs> when you deal with their poop less. I like yeah. <laughs> everything. You know, like having two kids, one of them in diapers, one of them in not. You know, I can tell you which one. <laughs> <laughs> which one you'd rather deal with on a regular basis? <laughs> fun to deal with on moments. Not that I don't like the baby. I love my children both equally. But which one's poop do I have to deal with? You know, just the one. Exactly. Um, Let's see. And then I did play, we talked last week about things to do over the holidays. So I did play Among Us with two different groups of friends. And I will say that that is just a fantastic game all around. I invited you guys, was it Friday night, Saturday night? One of those you nights? invited Saturday us night. incredibly last minute on a night where we had already canceled our D&D plans because you <laughs> knew we were going to be busy. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to put the offer out there. There were only four of us playing. We're like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be that great with four. So I invited everyone I knew and no one joined us. Um, but it turns yeah, out I the game asleep. is actually quite <laughs> fun at four. It was, it was, four was good. Five is not great, but four was good. And then six is good. Um we played five for a couple games, and that was a little awkward, an awkward number. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend Among Us as an online social deduction game where it's, yeah. I can't wait to play it with you, Kitty, because I just want to see how you react to it. I think you'll like it, but I'm not sure. I mean, I've played the game. I haven't played, though, like, with people I'm looking in the face with the accusy part, which is what I normally don't like. It's it's not super accusy. Unless you get caught red-handed. But yeah, it's just, it's ah, it's so good. It's so good. All right. But anyway, I wanted to talk this week about a game topic, an actual game topic. I'm excited about this. I have so many feelings about this topic. So do I. So so the, what we're talking about um, this week, and you've seen the title of the show, which is probably going to be End Game Triggers, is how games end. And the reason this came to mind is I've been on this forex like the space forex kick lately and i was playing twilight imperium and that game ends as soon as someone gets 10 points and then i was playing eclipse and that game ends after a certain number of rounds and then you count the points and i'm was trying to like determine which way i like better because both of them are kind of anticlimactic but do i like one more than the other is there a better feel and then it got me to think is like well how many different ways do games end and i think there's only 3 I, I listed a, like nine or ten <laughs> in the notes here, but I think it boils down to actually three. So I'm going to name these three, and then we'll we'll just kind of talk from there about all in general. But the first possible, the, the first main category is time-based. Now, this is X number of rounds. If it's a real-time game, it's, you know, after 15 minutes or whatever. But essentially, you're going to take a certain, a set number of turns, a set number of rounds, a set number of something. And when those, when that's over, the game ends. How you win usually is determined by victory points, but you know we can talk about that in 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 the same kind of way here. The second one is goal based. It's when something is achieved, the game ends. Uh, Scythe is a great example for this. When someone gets six stars on the board, the game ends. Right. So it's not a fixed number of turns. It could be any amount of time, but someone has to complete that goal for things to end. And the third one is sort of related to the goal base, but it's depletion based. Um, what I think of here is when you run out of cards, um, when you're playing Dominion, when three stacks are empty. Um, so you have that there is a timer, but it's a non-predictable timer. And it's not necessarily something that people are driving towards. In fact, people could be trying to avoid it if they don't want the game to end. So those are my three. Yeah, it's sort of like a combination of the two. 
Yes. Yep. But it, it felt different enough where I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this in its own category. Because a lot of games are like this, right? When the deck runs out, the game mm-hmm. is over. Or something along those lines. Um, all right. So, and I put a few other ones. I have actually did not read these. I just copied and pasted them from when I took notes a week ago. So, uh, let's see. Turn limit, <laughs> goal reach, race games. Um, that's basically goal, real time. Run out of something. Have X of something. So, Having X of something is interesting. So uh, when your 16 cards been played, the game is over. Um, I think that's probably goal-based, but it could be like a reverse depletion as well. It's a build-up versus a deplete, but it's kind of the same thing. Um, player elimination is one. I think that's also could be related to goal-based. If you're in a two-player game, your goal is to eliminate the other player. Um and then, oh, and then the other one that's just kind of an asterisk on top of all of these is the game is triggered for ending when one of these things happens, but there's a certain amount of time or turns after that. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the introduction. That is kind of what we're talking about. Kitty, thoughts, feels. What, what, do, you, what do you think about these game ending situations? So most of the games that I really like are... I fall into the time-based category. Mostly you will play X number of rounds and you know going in what it's going to be. And that is, that's what I like. I like to know going in because I feel really flustered when I am playing somebody who is like racing to achieve the goal to end the game much faster than me. And I don't like that feeling of being rushed to accomplish my goal by someone else's style of play. I like that. Fletcher, do you have a preference or have you never really thought about this? Uh, yeah, my preference would be goal-based. So exactly the opposite. Because <laughs> I want to know what the goal is and I want to either like build my engine or come up with some kind of like strategy to achieve that goal and what I think is you know, obviously the fastest or at least like a reasonable amount of time as opposed to just a ne- like a time-based thing. Kind of like, oh, just make sure you have the most. But it's like, I don't know, <laughs> like, or the or the best when the time runs out. And it's like, but I can't, I don't, how are other people doing? I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I, I think I'm more on the goal-based than the turn-based. And for the same reason, like when I was explaining Eclipse, which is one of my most favorite games, I love this game, but it is a time-based game. You play eight rounds, and at the end, you count your points. Whenever I'm explaining this, I need to write at the beginning, say, a good score here is in the high 30s, low 40s. Because otherwise, you have no way of knowing, is three points for this thing good or bad? I don't know. Well, you know, a good score is 40 points, so that's that's kind of a relative way of measuring that. Where if you have a goal, so in Twilight Imperium, you have to get 10 points. You know every point matters. Every point is 10% of your win condition. And you're driving towards those goals, and you have that that feeling there. Um, but I do like that goal-based game. And actually, uh, there's a couple of questions in chat. So Steve asks, you know, where would Betrayal end up on this? And I think Betrayal is a goal-based game. So what happens is at the beginning, it's nebulous. There is nothing, there is no end, right, to Betrayal. You just start playing and mm-hmm. eventually something's yeah. going to happen that will trigger the ability to trigger the end of the game. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at that point, it becomes a goal-based game. If you're on the good side, your goal is to thwart the bad guy. And if you're on the bad side, your goal is to thwart the good guys. Um, the other question... Well, there's my- usually a win condition stated in yes. the scenario. Yeah. 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 Like, but they it- have to do this or we have to stop that. Yeah. And it's a very clear goal, somewhat. Mm-hmm. Th- there's some... Some ways in betrayal, you can have an unclear goal on one side or the other where you're not really sure what the bad guy is trying to do. Um, but it it becomes this goal-based thing. And when you achieve your goal, the game ends. And it feels like, I achieved this. I accomplished it. Woohoo. Yay. And it just feels better to me than, all right, you have 10 turns to accomplish this. And if you don't, you lose. It, it, I don't know. I mean, well, there's a kind of a hybrid mechanic that I just threw out there, but... You know, you have 10 <laughs> turns to get a certain number, more points than I did. And if you don't, then, you know, it's like, okay, well, I tallied the points. Here you go. The vast majority of games work like that. Most games are, you know, end of the game triggered and count your points. 
I just feel like having something to work towards feels more satisfying to me. So there's, I don't know, because I've been playing um, a lot of Azul, and we also got out Calico this weekend. Um, and I made my mom and my brother play Calico with me. And they're both very similar kind of feeling games in that you are grabbing from a central resource pool and you are trying to create a pattern and scoring based on how well you create your pattern, like either the order you place your tiles or how you create a pattern on your little quilt. One of them, Azul, it is whoever, when somebody creates a horizontal line that you end that round and then everyone, you know, that's the end of the game. So everyone knows that and uh, someone in my family's strategy a couple times was, I'm just going to try to end it fast so that you can't build up a big enough score to, like, you know, beat me. So they they were just speeding through the game and it felt very different. Whereas in Calico, you have a little board that you're filling up and everyone just gets as many turns as it takes to fill your board and you create your pattern and you are limited by the number of spaces in your player board quilt that you're creating. And I liked that a lot better because I always knew exactly where I stood. And in both of them, it you still don't always know what other people are doing. It's a lot easier in Azul to see what other people are going for round to round and what the score is at the end of each round. But it's hard to tell still what the end of the game looks like exactly because there's so many like oh I didn't realize you got all five of your colors and like little score nuances that can really change things so it's the same like you don't know what's happening with like who's winning either way but at least I know what I can do with Calico I can see exactly how many turns I have to play each thing and it's the same with a game like Wingspan so John was asking about Wingspan in the chat um you have your number of cubes I get this many actions in this round and then we're going to score that round and then I get one less action next time and you do that three times and that's it. I know what I have to do. I know my space and I can work within it and I don't have to worry about, oh no, my sister triggered the end of the game really quick and now like what I was building for won't work. I know exactly how many turns I have. If I lay my eggs now, then the next round I can spend my egg and I can build this system and it will take me four turns. I have four turns. I can do this. And I don't have to worry about anyone really messing with my structure. It's, I like structure. Yeah. It's, well, it's basically <laughs> if, you ha- if you know you have a set number of rounds and turns. So, I mean, Wingspan is definitely a turn-based game. And you mm-hmm. know how many, you basically know how many actions you're going to be able to take with it. So the the game becomes how do I optimize my actions? Like that's mm-hmm. wingspan. And a lot of these games that are here's your number of turns, it's how do I optimize my actions, which can be fun, especially, you know, given you have a lot of variety in what you can do with your actions. When you have something that allows a player to rush an ending, whether it be a round ending or a game ending though, it does change the feel of the game. Um, so Scythe mm-hmm. is a good example of this. Um, you mentioned Azul. Um, what was, there's another game I was just thinking that was a good example of, oh, Great Western I, Trail. I was just going to say that Great Western Trail, because one time we were playing this and Sydney was like, and um, I just triggered the end of the game. Yeah. And I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I was and, not ready for it that. It changes everything because when you're playing something like Great Western Trail, and if you haven't played it, um, it's a giant rondelle, meaning that you can always, it's an action selection game, but you can only move forward on the track. And when you hit the end of the track, you'll start back at the beginning of the track. Well, the first person to hit the end of the track essentially triggers the end of the round. So they're racing, they're rushing the rest of the players. So if everyone's taking their time and only going a couple steps and taking another action, you have a lot of actions in a round where if somebody's going their maximum move distance, they can really reduce the number of actions that everyone can take. And it forces everyone to speed up what they're trying to do. It's a very interesting... There's also... I think there's... Aren't there like several different conditions where like if this happens, it triggers the end of the game or... So I remember it was like 
if somebody gets so many teepees or something like that. I think I'm pretty sure that you have to get to the end of the track. Oh, actually, you can run out of particular resources, too. If you run out of. Yeah. um, Yeah. I think there might be actually three ways to. This is I need to play this game again. I love this game and I haven't played it in like a year and a half. (laughs) I just need to play this game again. But it definitely does have that tempo thing where if one person wants to push the tempo, everybody is going to have to up the tempo or people are going to be like, wait a minute, I didn't have enough time to do what I wanted and I didn't enjoy this play of the game. I didn't like this group. I didn't like this play Mm -hmm. style. And a lot of games are like that. I think I, I like those type of games more because it adds a little bit more player interaction than what would happen in a game that's not like that. Because otherwise, in, in a game like Wings, Wingspan, which I love, like your player interaction is like, oh, he took that card that I wanted. Darn it. Or like, <laughs> oh, that player, that player took that resource that I needed. Okay. I, let me, let me, uh, you know, switch this up. I'll just there. lay some let more eggs. See if I can get it done this way. Right. Sometimes it's, um, hey, that person completed their hunting action and I get a resource now. So, you know, it's not all bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right it's not all bad. Uh, it's like, okay, great. Yeah, I, I get a resource or I triggered somebody else getting a resource. Um, but in, in these other games, you have to watch what the other player is doing. Like, oh, this player is like racing towards the end. So my, my slow plotting strategy of like maximizing the number of points isn't going to work if this player is running towards the end i have to change my strategy because they're gonna they're gonna beat me there they're gonna my engine's not gonna have enough time to be built and functioning yeah well yeah i just don't like player interaction (laughs) (laughs) we already talked about we did a whole episode on how i love solitaire (laughs) yeah well and the thing is with solitaire if you have the set rounds, it really does feel completely solitarish because I'm not able to affect you. If we had the exact same thing, if Wingspan was the exact same thing, but at any point on someone's turn, they could say, okay, I pass. And if someone passes, then the everyone gets one more turn and they're done with that round. It would completely change the way the game is played because now I know what you're going for. I got what I need. I'm going to pass and you're not going to be able to get what you're what you need, right? It just changes the whole tempo of the game. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't and have to play I it. I think it's it's so nice that there's a lot of variety out there because I think it does really, you can find the games that cater to what you like. And, you know, I don't only like games that are turn base that like have a a set number of turns equal a game i do find that those are more enjoyable to me but i still love to play great western trail or azul or any other number of games where something triggers the end of game i just like to be on the same page with the other players and i like to know that it can happen so something like um I don't want to pick on Sydney because I know she listens. <laughs> I just remember a specific instance where I didn't know how the game end was triggered when we were playing Great Western Trail. And I don't think she did either. She was just playing the way she wanted to play. And she said, oh, and by the way, I think I triggered the end of the game. And I think everyone else at the table was like, wait, what? <laughs> and like, you know, it was one of our like second or third plays of the game where we just didn't know it could happen that fast and it was still really fun and i enjoyed the game but it was just like ah like i don't know what just happened you, you didn't get to you do know? everything you wanted to do you were enjoy you were enjoying the game but then it's like yeah. oh i didn't get to do what i wanted to do and it's not by fault of the players ending and like the game no. ends it's what the game is doing yeah what i've been noticing more and more is the type of game that is the game ends when game ends and you count the number of points, so basically pick your point salad game. Those ones are like, okay, fine. I've come to expect about 50% of the games on the market are going to end like that. Game ends, whoever has the most points wins, regardless of what you call them. The ones that I'm not sure I'm crazy about is the race games that are a race to a certain number of points, which is funny because some of my favorite games are this mechanic. Viticulture, first to 20, ends the game, and then whoever yeah. has the most points afterwards wins. I love that game. Twilight Imperium, first to 10, you win the game. Zaya, first to, you know, pick your number. I really, really enjoy that game. But for some reason, I always seem to not care about points at the beginning. And the people who actually know how to play and care about points, they're going to win because, 
you know, they actually care about the points and I just want to play the game. But uh, I don't know. So is there like a type of game that you really just have noticed you don't like? Like a type of game ending? Hmm. Um, the ones that like, if it's, if it's some kind of weird time-based, some of the time-based ones are fine. Like, I don't know, like a lot of the social games are kind of like time-based, like, you know, charades, taboo and stuff like that are all kind of like time-based or like heads up. Like that, that's fine because it, it, it's almost like a different type of mechanic and that it adds kind of like to the fun of the game because you need to quickly do as many as you can before you like pass it to the next person. And real-time party um, games, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the ones that like, I, I, I mean, Chris, you might like this, but like the ones that strike me as like kind, like kind of difficult to gauge a little bit are, um, I guess like, uh, like terraforming Mars. So that's like depletion based, but it's kind of like reverse depletion, yeah. I guess, because you want to like, you want to terraform Mars that triggers the end game and then you count all the points. But like, there's so many, there's not only the points like on the table as you move your peg, but like, then there's like, the money and then like the science research and all this other stuff so then there's like a ton of math that you kind of do at the end so you, even though you might be behind you might have a ton of resources that get you you know that eke out the win and those those games to me like i definitely like because I, I like terraforming mars but it, it's kind of like harder to gauge because you might trigger the end game um and you might even be in the lead and then but still you lose. Might not actually win. <laughs> yeah. 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 I. So that one to me would be like a goal based game. When a certain goal is met, it, you count the points. And that's. And maybe that's why I don't like terraforming Mars because it is such a just. It feels random to me, even though I know it's not. The more, the better you are at that game, the better you're going to do. It's just if I'm trying to experience the possibilities, I'm not going to be as good as somebody who is like, okay, I have a focus strategy and I know what I'm, I'm going to do. And that just requires right. playing Could, more. Be, because Viticulture is also like count the points, but there's usually not like the first person to hit 20, that's the, that's the last round. Yes. So if you're the last person, then, you know, you win. But if you're the first person in that round, there's usually not too many actions a person can do in that round to like, uh, jump ahead of you unless you're only ahead by like you know a couple of points well john mentions it in Uh chat like one of the things he does not like is when the game ends immediately and not everyone gets a last turn yeah that's the worst right so when you have like actually i think there's a variation of scythe because scythe ends immediately as soon as someone gets that last star i think there's a variation where you actually play through and everyone gets one more turn um, which really changes the way the game plays when you can get that last turn because ending the game immediately when you've just been able to do something to get yourself ahead is a tactical piece of those types of games. It's not a satisfying piece for everyone else though. And I think that you it, it also it also benefits the people who go first. Yes. Yep. Now because then that means you you can get one more round than everybody yeah. else. Now, some games are like, well, the game plays long enough and there's enough turns involved where they're really, it kind of mitigates the first player advantage. But I still think it's more fun when everyone says, we all got the same number of turns, especially when you're talking about counting the number of points. It's like, we all got mm-hmm. the same number of turns. You triggered the ending. That's great. But now who got the most points in those number of turns versus you went first, you triggered the ending. So you got one extra turn more than everyone else. Oh, great. You won. Okay. You know, that that's fine. If I had an extra turn, I would have won type of it just it can create those types of feelings. Um, I, I think, yeah, I'm just getting less and less interested in count the points at the end of the at the end of the game games uh title blades i just got that and the game looks fantastic but it's like okay play i think it's a round based game play x number of rounds and then whoever has the most points is the new surf king or something i don't know um and i just like eh, it doesn't excite me i'm just not excited to play a get the most points game right now i like to play games now where you usually score at the end of each round so it is still point salad you're gaining points for certain like different things but you can see how people are doing you get a better idea it's not count all the points at the very end it's count all the points three times throughout the game so that you can see like oh someone's ahead this strategy is working and you know whatever it is you have a chance to course correct or 
not well, as the case may be. All right, so let's let's actually expand on that. Point track versus no point track versus hybrid point track where some points are tracked on the point track and some of them are counted <laughs> at the end. Which do you prefer? Do you like a game where there's a track and you always know the exact number of points everyone has or that there's no track at all and while you might be able to do some rough calculations in your head, you really have no idea what the actual point values are until the end or that hybrid where you're counting this, this, and this, but you have a hidden point pile, which is going to add on to keep it a little bit more variable. I like either knowing exactly where everything is or knowing nothing about it. No in between. I do not like the (laughs) hybrid. It is lies. It is a lie track. (laughs) So anything where I'm tracking some of my points, but I've got this secret pile of points, the worst. I really like games where like Azul. At the end of each round, you know where everyone stands. You can see what's happening. Oh, we have to stop this player or they're going to win. You know, like you can gang up on people and, um, oh, I need to make sure so-and-so doesn't get this tile or whatever it is. Like it, it gives you an idea. It's fun. Everyone can see what everyone's doing and you know exactly what you have. Or something like Wingspan where you can kind of guess what you're going to have. You see like the scoreboard, but you don't really know until the end of the game. You're not paying attention to what anyone else is doing. You're just, you're doing the best that you can and you can't pay that much attention to what other people are doing. What about you, Fletcher? Um, You know, I was going to say like um, the super point track where you know exactly how many points you have. Like, you know, I love viticulture. And then that in between and then no points at all. But I think, I think Kitty might have flipped, flipped <laughs> me because, that, I mean, that is one of the mechanics that I, I don't, is not my favorite with um, terraforming Mars because it is, it, it's only like a rough estimate. It's like you have at least this many. Points. Right. <laughs> you could, you could have a lot more. Um, and I don't know if it's just like doing all the math at the end that I don't like or because there is a simplicity with, like, yeah, you don't know how many points you have in Wingspan, and I, which it's a game I do love. Um, and it's just kind of like you just, you, you're guessing how many points you have, and you're guessing how many points all your point, opponents have. And you can roughly kind of tell, like, who might be doing well, but. But you whoever know, has that stupid puppy sense. card is going to come out in the middle and be like, oh, look, I have another 30 points at the end of the game, or whatever it is. Be- because, like, in a sense, like, in a way, like, all points are kind of. Or, or no, some points are always going to be hidden because you have your hidden hand mm-hmm. and you have a certain amount of points in your hand that you have yet to play. Um, so even though you might be like in last place and then the next round you you get your combo that you need and then boom, you jump up to like second place within one turn and everybody's like, whoa, how did you score, you know, all those points? And it's like, oh, I just had the right combination. I set this up. It took like you know, four turns to set this up, and then I was able to play this great combo. Yeah. I do not think I like exact point tracks. Uh, f- not necessarily because I don't like knowing the positions and stuff, but if you are far behind in a game with an exact point track, you're just staring at the fact that's like, all right. You feel bad. Yeah, I'm 50 <laughs> points behind. There's literally nothing I can do. Why am I still playing this game? And I don't think any game should ever put you in a situation like that. So the partial point track can at least have you think that it's like, well, I have these points that no one else has, so if this person no, doesn't score... No, nobody, nobody thinks that <laughs> in the partial point oh. track. If you're trailing really far behind, you're not like, oh, but wait, don't worry, <laughs> I have my hidden bank of points. That's definitely well, going to the top. It depends on how much the track does. And so, like, um, uh, what's not Blood Rage, Eric Lang's next game, Rising Sun, that game has a semi-point track to it, where I'm like, well... I'm 12, 20 points Blood behind. Blood Rage is the same way, though. Wait, and it is. It's, okay, we use both of those. It's like, okay, so I'm like about 20 points behind, but I'm going to get this quest that's going to give me 12 points, and if I can get pull this off, I'm going to get another 20 points from that. So you always feel like there's a chance, but that's because the point track is short, and most of your points are coming from that last round, which I think is okay, um, but I think I'd rather just have no point track at all. But a way for me to have a general feel for the game. So more like that, even Wingspan, though, you're you're getting points. You get points in each round in Wingspan, or is it all total at the end? 
You get points for, you know, you know, I think the score for the the goals, end right? of round goals. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's it. And you get points for a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But you can look at the So you board. have your hitting goals, what? you have the eggs, you've got cached food, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What's a game that has, what, what, where there's not a hidden point pool that ha- that you need to accumulate like just a ton of points? Because, you know, I'm thinking of like viticulture and that's triggered at 20 points. Right. So it's not like you're like you feel like you're you know fifty points behind or something so uh, like, like Eclipse. Um, there's actually a lot of games where basically any point salad game um, where you're doing a bunch of things and at the end you're going down. Seven Wonders is like that, right? You're you're trying to accumulate a bunch of points, but you don't count your points until the end of the game. You have a general idea of how many points you have. You can look around and see generally what other people are points have, but you're not tracking those on a track until the end where it's like, okay, go down the checklist and say who has what. No, no but my, my, my question is, you said you don't like games that have an exact point track because oh. you don't want to feel like you're 50 points behind. What's a game that is an exact point track, a la Viticulture, but has a huge track? Oh, oh what was I just playing the other day? The track had 100... 100- because I feel like... I feel like you don't have a problem with viticulture because the track is short enough that you never feel like <laughs> you might as well just give up. Right. Carcassonne can get like this. A lot of the kind of old. Yeah, but even uh, those don't have point tracks. So like a long point track. Carcassonne has a point track. Does it? Yeah. Carcassonne, you track everything but your farms as you play. So whenever you close a city, you get your points in. Whenever you uh, finish a road, you score your points then yeah. so it can look like you yeah. you do have points that score at the end of the game but a lot of it is happening in game yeah. and you can see somebody pulling way ahead of you yeah miles mentions ticket to ride and bunny kingdom bunny kingdom it can be one of the worst at this because there's the scores in some of those things is this times that and you can just get some crazy high scores where someone else who just doesn't have the territories like nothing happens. Um, Lord of Waterdeep, Steve mentions this. Um, I God, I love that game so much. Is another one that has a long point track, and you'll complete quests that'll be worth anywhere from five to fifteen points. And that one, at least, if I have like three unfinished quests that you don't know about, maybe I could pull out like a thirty or forty point swing at the end. But so can a bunch of other people. Um, there's there's a lot of games like this, and I've just played one the other day where. We went around multiple times, and I can't remember what this was. I, <laughs> I, I, it was a game where essentially we were in the one fifties, one sixties, and one of us was back by seventy points, and just like, yep, there's nothing I can do. I'm not going to win this game, but I'm going to keep going through the motions because you know my friends are having fun. Cry havoc like that. Uh. I can't actually speak to it, but I don't remember the point counts in Quiet Havoc being that high. I think there were sub fifties, mm. if I okay. if I remember correctly. But I I think I do. I don't know. Like I said, when I was playing Eclipse, um, one of the things that we were found when we were playing Eclipse, and this is um, we Sydney and I played t- twice in the last week and a half. Once was a two player game, and once was four players. And the in the two player game, I felt like I was winning the entire game, and she felt like I was winning the entire game. And at the end of the game, she won by one point because mm-hmm. just the way that the points all added up. And I thought I was so far ahead that at the very end of the game, I'm like, well, I could do this and basically totally destroy her. Or I could go this way and just kind of like, you know, get a couple more points for me. So I did the couple more points for me because I'm like, eh, I got this in the bag. This is my game. And then when we counted the points, I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah, I had no idea where I was at. I thought I was winning the entire time, but just the way the score shook out, I did not. And the second game we played, we played with um, Doug and Jen. They doubled our scores. Like, I had 25, she had 27, and Doug and and Jen had, like, 47 and 49. Like, it was insane. And again, I knew that they were winning, but I didn't realize how much they were winning by. (laughs) So, it's... I think I enjoy, I like, I really enjoyed playing all of those games, like, the entire time. But at the end... Whether I won or not, I don't know that it mattered. I actually enjoy playing that game more than the game ending at all. So we will say that, you know, as much as I've talked about like, oh, I only like turn limited and I only like these games where I can, you know, see what's going on. There's standouts in every category. You know, you can't say like, I only like this or I always like this because 
there are, I'm sure, some, you only get this many number of turns games that are just bad, I don't like. And, you know, so you can always see around kind of, you know, whatever category it is, you can, you don't have to always like this or not like that. You know, there's... So there's good games in every kind of category. Right. Well, that's why I'm like, like I said there's only really a handful or less ways games end. And that's why when I'm looking when we were playing TI4, one of the critiques that I saw, someone who loved the game, um doing a review of it, and then like the only real issue with the game is the end. It ends very anticlimactically. Like someone wins and then the game is over. And you just spent 16 hours playing this game to have I scored my last point, and I win. And the mm-hmm. fun was in the playing, not in the end. So what he did, this is, um, uh, uh, why is his name escaping me? I want to say Sean, but it's not Sean. Um, but anyway, the RTFM guy, um, uh, his name will come to me. But he wrote endings for all the different races. And so when you won, everyone else decides, was it a, were you a benevolent or malevolent and then it would give you kind of a little paragraph ending. And it just is enough of a cap to make the ending matter. And that type of thing, I think, is really important. It's not necessarily how the game ends, but how satisfying those endings are. So we wrote in the opening credits, or I wrote in the opening intro, I mean. Um, it's not as important as books and movies, but I think if a game has a great ending, it can make the game more memorable in general. Um, you know, Michael just mentions endings to cooperative games. And I think cooperative games have this down for the most part, where the ending is memorable because you're telling a story together and you accomplish a goal or fail to accomplish a goal together. And because of that, it's this shared experience at the end. Thoughts? I definitely agree with that. And I think that the game that has the best ending feeling is Battlestar Galactica. And I know we yeah. keep talking about this game <laughs> that you can't buy, and I'm sorry everyone who can't play it. I really am. But it has such a good either like, oh, I can't believe the silence got us. This is so awful. Or like, oh, we did it. We did it. Like, you know, it's it's such an exciting storytelling moment that it's always a good ending. Yeah, and it's a tug-of-war game, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's anyone's game until the end, or it's even more exciting when it's like, oh, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. Oh, how did we pull that off, right? So it's those types of endings are memorable, and it makes those games more memorable. Fletcher, you have opinions on this? Um, Yeah, I mean, I haven't played, uh, obviously, Sword Galactica, but I think definitely the ending of a game can can make it, and it, it can make it, like, super satisfying of of I, I think i don't know maybe maybe it's a just juxtaposition but like those like terraforming mars even though i don't like the how the points are calculated you do kind of get that like maybe surprise kind of ending like yes i was able to like pull that off and it, it makes for like a a satisfying win or like crushing defeat it, it it adds like that kind of fun element to the game um so yeah, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> well, I mean, to bring I that up. I think the hardest kind of games to make feel fun like this are the, like, I achieved my 10 victory points. Ta-da, I win. Like, it just feels yeah. truncated. It I, feels like you've just cut the story off. It doesn't feel like a completion of the story. And I like this idea of, like, now go to the book and read what the, like, it, like if you give it an ending, like, what do those 10 points, like, achieve for you like i i like the idea of this like give it a story meaning because just like huzzah i got my 10 victory points and now i win yeah well especially for something like terraforming mars i I have a lot of problems with this game but one of them is i don't (laughs) care about what i'm doing i don't care i'm a corporation trying to be the best corporation on mars okay like (laughs) that's that's the goal and i'm like uh and and the thing is, like, up, oh, I squeaked it out a couple more points than you did. Therefore, I am the best corporation. Okay, like the story just doesn't compel me or doesn't interest me. Where something like with a summary story at the end, and very few games do that. Where there's like, you won. Here's the the story. I just think a lot of these, a lot of games, the games I I most dislike, and I'm just now realizing this, and this <laughs> is probably one of the main reasons I don't like Terraforming Mars, is the point 
accumulation games where it's a completely arbitrary thing. Become the most Mm -hmm. famous person, become the most this, become the most that. And, you know, it's just like, okay, great. You be, you did the best of that. And I, I get that some games just have to work like that because, you know, it's still just a game, but a little bit more thought as to what does it mean to be the greatest? Why does that work for you? Like, think of our presidential elections, right? We just had a presidential election, and... In the United States. In the United States. And the idea here was you're trying to get the most points so that you could become president. And the the scoring system is totally messed up, but that's okay. It's a game. And we all know (laughs) that it's a game. But if you play the game correctly and you can accumulate enough points, you win. And now you've achieved something. And... Mm -hmm. The, the person who won has a story that comes after that. Whether you mm-hmm. like or dislike that story, it doesn't matter. There's still a story that comes after that. And I think if games can capture that idea where you got the most points and now here's your story that comes after this, that to me makes a game that I want to play again and again and again. And I think a lot of campaign games or why I like campaign games is because it does drive me to the next story. I want to do the next thing, the next thing that unlocks. What am I discovering? Legacy games, all those things. Is like It keeps me want to come back to say, what's next? What's the new cool thing that's going to come after this? I want that. I want that in my games. John agrees with me. You can see him vigorously. I can hear him nodding his head to me. <laughs> <laughs> see, I think that's why the games that I like are very puzzly. I love games where you are doing your own thing and you're creating a puzzle. You're trying to maximize your points. You're very focused on what you're doing because at the end, I can see the results of what I've done and I want to try it again of like, if I had only gotten this piece, I could have done this and I want to try to get it this time. And, oh, I like learned this new strategy. And like, it leads to a different feeling than like, oh, what a great ending. It's that I want to do it again. I yeah. want to try again feeling. And I think that games that end in a very satisfying way where you've created your puzzle or like maybe it's just a little bit off of satisfying is what I want. Is like, I just want to feel like I can do a little bit better next time. I want to try again. And I want games that capture that ending feeling of like, this was fun. I want to do it again. Yeah. And the scoring shouldn't take away from that. And the triggering the end of the game shouldn't be like taking away from the feeling of I want to play again. Yeah, I would agree. And th- I have a few games like that, like Gizmos. I love that game. It's a 45-minute game. Every time I play, I have fun playing it. And I want to try again. What's what's the next neat machine I can build and the engine I can build mm-hmm. to make this cool? Longer games, like two to three hour range, I think is the is the range where I'm like, the experience isn't an all-day experience. And if I have to play it for another two to three hours to try it again, it has to be a super, super compelling game. <laughs> And not a See, lot that's of games. The difference do that. is like I play the like thirty to forty-five minute games, yeah. and you can play it again. Yeah, well, you even know, Wingspan, even like the fifteen to thirty-minute games. Yeah, Wingspan, <laughs> you can get to you know an hour to ninety minutes with a four-player game. You know, and you can play mm-hmm. that again. You can play that twice in an afternoon and enjoy both plays, trying different strategies or doing different things. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of again. I, I keep harping on terraforming Mars, but it's a great example because a lot of people have played it. Um, but any kind of Euro game that is in that two hour range, you have to enjoy the playing of the game in order to want to play it again. And, you know, Terraforming Mars, there's a lot to like there. I mean, it's, if you like solving that puzzle, if you like that challenge, it's, it's fun. Um, but pick any of your, you know, two hour long Euro games that are essentially point puzzles. Yes, I want to try it again. And in a video game format, I probably would. I'd play it over and over and over. But if I'm going to have to do the setup and get a bunch of people together and you have to have equal skill in order to really like pride yourself on like, oh, I'm really good at this game and I'm just going to tromp my friends and I got them to play it finally and then I just destroyed them all. Like there's a lot of a lot of problems with that kind of thing. So I want to cover two other games um, before we end. First is... Uh, we'll do D&D last, because I think we need to talk about <laughs> the ending to D&D, um, and John brought that up. And then something that, maybe we'll do that post-credits, because I want to talk about uh, something, let's see, I think, yeah, John brought this up too. Um, nope, Michael brought this up. Is the ending, hidden ending card 
Hmm. Let me try this again. Hidden card <laughs> in a deck. Is that considered a depletion end of game? And I do think it is a depletion end of game. So basically, you shuffle a card at the bottom of a deck, and when you reveal that card, it triggers the end of the game or the game ends. Or sometimes, um, you know, there's three cards. So once three dragons are revealed, the round is over, the game is over. So it's definitely a depletion ending in my mind. But I want to talk about a game that's on Kickstarter right now. And I talked about it on Dice Tower News this week. And this is Harry Potter Catch the Snitch. Now... (laughs) I have been ignoring a lot of the Harry Potter games. Like Harry Potter has some decent games, but for the most part, they're like, eh, okay, they've been done. It's fine. This one, I finally looked into. And if you listen to my DTN segment, you've heard me say really good things. And Kitty, I'm assuming you have not listened to me talk about this because you weren't on DTN this week. Nope. Okay. So, (laughs) But this is a hidden card ending game. And the game ending in this game is so unique, I cannot wait to play it. So the way this works, um, if you've listened to DTN, I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat myself for a minute here. Uh, Quidditch is a broken game. It just does not work. No one would actually play this game in real life. Get 10 points for playing a goal. You spend all game scoring 10 points, 10 points, and all of a sudden, this little golden ball starts fluttering around. Whoever catches it wins the game. It's ridiculous. Why did you play hey, the fr- first part of the game? Not the Quidditch World Cup, Bulgaria versus Ireland. Yes. If you're a selfish seeker, then you may end the game and lose the game for your team. You could potentially do that. Yes. Um, but... He ended it on his terms. <laughs> he did. And, <laughs> and lost the game for his team. <laughs> <laughs> but what they do in this game is they fix it. They fix Quidditch. And it's fascinating to me. So the way that this game works is in the beginning of the game, there's two phases to it. In the beginning of the game, you're playing Quidditch, as you would, and the exciting thing in the books, and you're listening to all these people play. And that's cool. So what what ends up happening is anytime you score a goal, you're going to take a snitch card from a face-up pile. And these cards are going to help you catch the snitch later in the second phase of the game. And then you're going to replenish it with a new card from the deck. When the snitch shows up and it says the snitch appears, the first part of the game immediately stops. It's no longer there. There is no score cap. You didn't keep any score or anything. And now whoever catches the snitch wins the game. It's something you can only do in a board game to fix it. Like you can't fix this in real life where, you know, the more goals you get, the better you get at catching the snitch. But in the board game, it works. And it gives you this feeling of everything I did in the beginning mattered. But at the end, it increases my chance. And that last part of the game, which is really just a race around the track, that part plays pretty quickly. And you're just playing your cards, and then it ends. I love the way this ends. So it's it's a depletion ending. You're going through in cards. You're getting a certain number of goals before you're going to end. And you know how many goals there's going to be because you know how big the stack is. It's going to be somewhere between five and seven goals or something like that. And then you're going to use those cards to actually see who wins the game. I haven't played it, obviously, so I don't know, but that type of thing is fun for me. On the other hand, have you guys ever played um, uh, Killer Bunnies? Nope. No. Oh, never play Killer Bunnies. It's one of the worst games <laughs> on the planet. It is the game essentially... Killer Bunnies? Killer Bunnies, yeah. Now I have to look Oh, that there's up. like 15 expansions, too. It's it's so bad. It's so random. It's so out there. But there's 10, or I think there's 20 carrots. And you, it's a programming game. So you put two cards up and you're going to play the card that's most away from you, put another one, and then you basically are forced to play the card that you played two turns ago. And the way this game works is you're trying to collect carrots. And then whoever has the most carrots has the biggest chance of winning. So there's 20 carrots. And if I have 15 carrots and Kitty, you have four and Fletcher has one, we're going to randomly pick one of the 20 carrot cards out of this other deck and flip it up. And whoever has that carrot card is the winner. So even though I have 15 carrot cards, Fletcher could still win because he has the one card of the flip up. That does not feel satisfying to me. And I'm really hoping that the Harry (laughs) Potter game doesn't have that same effect. But I think that the Killer Bunnies ending is so unsatisfying because it's completely a roll of the die, even though there's you're playing with some statistics in there, where with the Harry Potter game, it looks like there's still a game at the end where you just have an edge. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to talk about those. Those endings are kind of unique in their own way, and they're similar, but very, very different feeling to me. And now Fletcher's going to play Killer Bunnies. 
looking at the art and stuff it's for a, it. I've never even heard of this. It band. used to be huge. About I don't know. I'd say ten years ago, it was like the hot casual game. Everyone was like, "Play Killer Bunnies, Killer Bunnies," and all the expansions came out in different colors, and you could mix everything together. And if someone was really into it, they had a deck of like eight hundred cards, and you just it made no sense whatsoever. It was just terrible it's munchkin worse oh someone actually mentioned what's the end game for munchkin um what is the end game for munchkin so munchkin you're trying to get to level 10 and everyone else is trying to bring you down so i said it's still a gold-based game but it's a king of the hill gold-based game where you just want to keep knocking people off the top i would say the end to munchkin is just miserable actually no it's a relief it's like oh god finally it's over that's the end of munchkin It has its place. Um, Miles asks, but whether better or worse than Cards Against Humanity? Cards Against Humanity is not a game. It doesn't have an ending, um, so it doesn't count. If you play the score, then you can say, yes, it's first to X number of points, whatever that point is. But uh, let's see. Is there anyone else? Any other questions I ignored in here? Probably not. Also, I didn't ignore them. I just waited to answer them at different points. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, if you guys want to be in our live audience... Uh, Monday nights, 8.30 Central Time. That's 9.30 Eastern. Um, it's the other side of the planet for Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Miles, what time is it over there in Australia? He's going to tell us. Um, but if you're if you're here, 8.30 Central Time. I think he's in Brisbane. So <laughs> Australia is not one time zone. Oh, it's actually big. I always just think of it as like, you know, Rhode Island or something. Uh, <laughs> no, like the same size of the United States. He says it's 12.30 p.m. Huge. on Tuesdays. Uh, is when it's you tomorrow get, there. Yes, uh, t- tomorrow. <laughs> so if you're in the future, you can listen to us in Australia as well. But we are always go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live. There's a link in the show notes. Um, we always love to have people in the audience. If we can tell we're entertaining because people are either laughing or their screens go blank and we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it could go either way, really. But we're going to talk about D&D. Not about our campaign, but we're going to talk about D&D endings post-credits because it was Thanksgiving and we actually didn't play D&D this week. Uh, (laughs) So if you want to hear about D&D endings, hang on. Otherwise, Katie, I'm going to pass it on to you. Oh, wait, I lied. I, I totally say, lied. Got a thing here. <laughs> I totally <laughs> lied. We are doing a holiday giveaway. Yes. December 14th, we will announce. Um, well, that's when the podcast will drop, but December 13th. No, sorry, the other way around. December 14th, we will be recording live and announcing live who wins. December 13th is the deadline. And December 15th is when the podcast will leave. Will drop. So how do you enter and what are you we giving away? We're giving away a $200, $250 gift card. Um, and you enter in a number of different ways. You can leave us an iTunes review. And then shoot me an email with your iTunes ID and let me know what that is. And you will get 10 entries for that. Um, you can... What have I done here? Entries. Oh, you can listen to what Fletcher's about to describe, draw it, take a picture, and email us that picture. I totally forgot that about will this. Also, <laughs> I need to find that will really also quickly. give us 10 entries. So I'm buying Fletcher a little bit of time. Um, and it doesn't have to match. We're going to take all these and put these together. Um what it is, and then the pictures across from it, too. I'll, I'll post that on our Twitter at some point. Uh, and so that's worth also 10 points. So that's an easy way to get 10 entries. Or if you just want to enter and not do anything, just send us an email saying hi and that you want to enter, and that'll give you an entry as well. Um, also, if you're a patron, you will automatically get a number of entries equal to your reward level. So I think that's good. Again, you have until December 13th to do all of this. Um, the drawings... Eh, if you did a, if you did last week's drawing, you sent it to me this week. That's fine. Um, there's there, as long as everything's in by December thirteenth, I'll tally it all up. All right, have I bought you enough time, Fletcher? Yeah, I, I, I I'll found slowly right. read this tabletop <clears throat> game. Talk no, no, no. We're doing this ahead of time. Are we? Are we doing this post credits? We did it post credits last time. I thought. All right, we'll do a post credits. Okay, ready? Go. I don't. <laughs> Again, Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find the link for that in our show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to become one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, 
Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Mutler, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht. Nope. Yes. I thought I skipped a <laughs> line, but... <laughs> Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Zillers, David Redke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstead, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Christopher Comstock, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Sydney Lum, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Sealander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Ronald Roy. And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron, anyone who ever plans to be a patron, and, you know, just in general. Um, Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So, real quick, uh, we did a lightning. Steve asked, "What's who's the gift? What's the gift card for? Who's the gift card for?" Yeah, anything you want. If it's a digital gift card, you just let me know what it is, and I will get you the digital gift card. Um, somewhere that sells games. Somewhere that so. sells games. Yeah. And <laughs> all right. So before you describe your picture, Fletcher, I want to talk about a D and D ending to a campaign that was. I don't remember the campaign nearly as much as the ending. And I don't know, Kitty, if this one like affected you as much as me, but we were playing a campaign um, and there was, I don't know, five or six of us. And we actually went to a bar to play a particular session of this game and everything was prepared. And what ended up happening is during that session, the mystery that the group was trying to find out, they found it out and they resolved what they were looking for. At which point, all of the players looked around and simply said, oh, so my character is going to go off and do what he was trying to do before this fell in our lap. <laughs> and I'm going to go over this way. And I'm going to, and essentially the characters ended the campaign. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was the DM. I had no idea that the campaign was going to end, but it was just such an organic ending to the campaign that I still remember that moment of just being like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Season <laughs> over series done. Like, you were on the other side of the table. Do you remember that? Is that like something that made an impact on you? Or is it just me that my campaign ended accidentally? I remember the campaign accidentally ending, but I don't remember what the mystery was. Like, I don't remember what we found out. I remember some like bits and pieces of this, but. There was, and that's the thing is like the ending, I remember. Well, I mean, essentially what was happening is there was a beholder that was controlling the control or the leadership of a particular city. And you guys ended up killing the beholder at some point and then realizing that it was actually a twisted evil dragon that was actually pulling all the strings. And once you realize that, you're able to best the dragon and you're like, okay, we're done. And then you went all on your separate ways. Not nearly as interesting as the fact that the campaign organically just ended without. <laughs> it's just like, oh. All right. So, yeah, endings. Normally, campaigns end with either the DM knowing that it's going to conclude or it just fades away. (laughs) And this did not do either of those things. It just was, I don't know, it was an interesting ending. All right, Fletcher, I can buy you no more time. So, this is how this is going to (laughs) work. Okay. Fletcher's going to describe something. He's going to spend one minute describing this, and everyone is going to draw what he's describing. He is going to text a picture of this to Kitty and I so that I can grab it later. Um, and you don't have to do it first. Do it after so that I can I can draw something too. Okay. Um, and then just take a picture of it with your phone or if you're drawing on a, I don't know, Microsoft Paint, whatever. Just send me that image and you will be entered into our contest. So, Fletcher, I'm giving you one minute. Going Starting in three, okay. two, one, begin. Okay, so this is a long horizontal rectangle. Inside the long horizontal rectangle is another long horizontal rectangle that goes nearly to the top and bottom of the larger rectangle and leaves an equal square portion to the left and right. Um, on the right square portion in the center, there is a teardrop shape with the point of the teardrop facing to the right. In the smaller horizontal rectangle, there is a circle on the left-hand side, a circle on the right-hand side, and a rectangle in the middle with the outsides top and bottom of the rectangle bowed outward in the left hand circle 
There is a vertical cylinder in the right-hand circle. There is a diagonal cylinder up into the left, down to the right. And in the rectangle in the center, there is another cylinder that is a horizontal. Um, the horizontal cylinder, the, the horizontal rectangle in the center, the small one, is about one and a half times longer than the circle. And all of these shapes in the very center are equally spaced from each other and from the edges. And Steve. Uh, the outside rectangle is red. <laughs> Ooh, man. That's hard. And I will say, since I was drawing it, I wanted you to keep going. Um, I, I think I know what this. If you can name this item, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you bonus points. That is, I, I, I see. Drawing it big enough. I see Lightning <laughs> Steve's. Um, he drew a robot that's murdering R two D two. I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kitty, Kitty's and mine are pretty close. Mine looks kind of like a weird battery. I don't know. Hold it up again. <laughs> <laughs> so play it back and. Draw that, take a picture, send it to us, and that'll give you extra entries into our contest. Um, Yeah, play it back and listen. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. Miles did a better job because I definitely made something vertical that should have been horizontal. (laughs) Horizontal. Horizontal. That's the one where you're laying down. Yep. Yep. All right. Horizontal, vertical. All right. Good point. (laughs) Scene. (laughs) 